Thanks for joining us at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations, reaching around the world with our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. You can partner with us by sharing this video or clicking the give link below. But for right now, prepare your heart for amazing worship and an incredible message.
into darkness hours Rejected and cut off from hope I couldn't see his love for me They said he's not who he said Don't get your hopes up for you Lies fell away when I saw his face Yeah. 
Well, Happy New Year, church. How are you? Good. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm fired up that I get to have the privilege of joining you this morning as we kick off this series called Engage. In fact, I'm convinced I'm going to preach the best message I've preached all year this morning. So I just want you to know that. I'm feeling really good today. I'm really excited about it. And since it is New Year's, I feel like it's obligatory for me to ask, how are you doing with your resolutions? If you've been able to keep your resolution, raise your hand. How how many of you have kept it? That's pretty good. All right. How many of you this year made the resolution to never make a resolution again? Okay, all right, that's good too. That's awesome. Well, I feel like it's important to talk about resolutions this time of year because it's on everybody's minds, whether you're fighting to keep your resolution or you're fighting not to judge those who are fighting to keep their resolutions, right? Like everybody's thinking about resolutions this time of year. And I think it's interesting that we pretty much make the same resolutions over and over and over again, don't we? Right? Like, like the main ones you can name pretty quickly, like I'm going to get into shape this year, right? Like I'm going I'm to pay attention to my diet and I'm going to work out more. or I'm going to get my finances into shape this year. This is the year I'm going to spend less and I'm going to save more. This is the year I'm going to learn that new thing I've always wanted to do, whether it's a new hobby or a new skill. I'm going to learn that second language. I'm going to become a photographer. I'm going to go back to school. Like I'm going to learn something new this year. But what's interesting about all of these super common New Year's resolutions to me is that they're all solo sports, right? They're all aimed at us on our own, attempting to become a better version of us. And here's the struggle. Statistics indicate that we're terrible at New Year's resolutions. Just awful. Like by mid-February, study after study shows that north of 80% of people will have given up on their New Year's resolution. Which begs the question, why do we go through this process every single year of making resolutions to become some better version of us that we're not actually going to be able to do? Like, why do we continue with this cycle again and again and again? I think it's because there's something about the new year that makes us a little bit more introspective than we normally are. We take a look inside of us at this time of year and we recognize that we were made for more than the life that we're living. That that there's some potential that the Lord has placed inside of us that we have not yet tapped into. And because we don't know how to tap into it, here's what we do. We try to become some better version of us all on our own. And here's the thing. On our own, we can't become who we were made to be. You can only become who you were made to be in community. It takes a community to forge you into who God saw before the world began. So on your own, the best thing you could do is become more like who the world says you should be. And here's the thing. Becoming who the world says you should be is really not all that rewarding or all that fulfilling, which is why our New Year's resolutions always end up failing. See, we've got to find ourselves in a community so that we can really grow to be who God wants us to be. But this word community, like it's kind of, it's kind of popular now. Like people throw it around in a whole different all kinds of different circumstances and settings. And so I kind of want to paint a picture for you of the type of community that I'm talking about. Like when I say the word community, like I want you to be surrounded by a group of people that you're comfortable being completely vulnerable or transparent with. Like a group of people who you can say things that you, like you're not sure how they're going to be received, but you can say them knowing that the people you're talking to, they're not there to look down on you. In fact, they don't want to break you down at all. They want to build you up. I'm talking about a group of of people who you can have real conversations with, like not surface level conversations that you had with your in-laws on Christmas Eve, right? Like 
Like we're not talking those kind of conversations. I'm talking like deep soul level conversations with, and here's the thing, you're actually gonna listen to the other person because you know that there's things that you can learn from the other person. And, and you're gonna speak candidly knowing that the other person's genuinely going to listen to you, not with a rebuttal already in mind, like we typically do, not with a response that's already pre-queued up. We're gonna genuinely listen to one another and genuinely learn from one another. That's the kind of community that I'm talking about. Because when you find yourself in that type of community, you know what happens? You allow yourself to become fully known. And it's only when you allow yourself to really be known by somebody else that you can really be loved by somebody else. And you know what happens when you're fully known and fully loved? You can't help but fully know and fully love others. Man, I believe that kind of community is a game changer. But here's the struggle. Here's the struggle. The vast majority of the culture that we live in doesn't have that kind of community. They don't even know that that type of community exists. They long for it, but they don't know that that's available for them. So you know what they're stuck doing? They're stuck in the cycle of trying to become somebody who is worthy of being known and somebody who's worthy of being loved. So they go back to the drawing board and they say, okay, well, what does it take to be known and loved? Well, I, gotta, I guess I got to make a New Year's resolution where I got to get into better shape so that I can be known and loved. I, I got to get my finances in order so I can be known and loved. I, I've got to learn something new so I can be known and loved. And the reality is that none of those things are going to lead you to a place where you can actually be known and loved. It takes community And I wish I could say that this was a cultural problem. It's not just a cultural problem because we see this in the church as well. That's why so many Christians in our world today are content just to be consumers instead of being community members. But that's not the way the church was actually designed up. And if you don't believe me, we're going to see the early church today in kind of its rawest and purest form. And so if you brought your Bibles or have a Bible app, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to pick up reading with verse 42. And as you're getting there, I want to kind of quickly catch you up on what has just happened preceding our passage. See, before our passage begins, there was this guy named Jesus, who we believe was fully God and fully man, who stepped out of heaven and came to earth. And that's actually what we celebrated on Christmas. And Jesus came with a very explicit mission, and that was to seek and save that which has been lost. And the way he went about accomplishing that mission was by gathering together a group of 12 young men. In fact, many scholars believe they were teenagers. And he got these guys to follow him for three years as he traveled around the region of the Galilee in the Holy Land or in Israel or actually modern day Palestine today. And they traveled around. And while those guys were following Jesus, what they observed was Jesus proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come near. They saw him healing the sick and performing miracles. And then at the end of Jesus's life, he actually fulfilled his mission of seeking and saving that which was lost by laying down his life on a cross. Because when he did that, he died for all the sins of the world, the past sins, the present sins, and the future sins. All the sin was placed upon him and he died. And three days later, he was raised from the dead. And eventually he actually ascended into heaven. But before he did, he told his followers that before he went, he was going to give them his spirit. And we call his spirit the Holy Spirit. And when he did that, when his spirit came upon his followers, they began to proclaim about his life, death, and resurrection. And when they did that, on the very first day that they did that, 3,000 people surrendered their life to the Lord and were baptized. And the church was born. 
And after the church was born, things looked like a real community. And we're going to see that in our scripture for today. Check out what it says in Acts chapter 2, picking up with verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Man, I I love this passage. It's like a beautiful depiction of what the scripture really looked like. And it begins by explaining that they were focused on the apostles' teaching. Now, the question is, who were the apostles? Well, those were the, those were the same guys who we previously had referred to as the disciples. Remember, the word disciple simply means a learner, and the word apostle simply means one who is sent. And so I, I remember it like this, like the disciples came to know, and the apostles were called to go. So disciples came to know, the apostles were called to go. And so the community revolved around looking at the words of the apostles. And what I think is really interesting is the apostles didn't just teach what Jesus had taught. They did what Jesus had done. And you know what Jesus had done? Jesus had created a community. Like like when you read through the gospel story, what you see is that he pulled together 12 young men from all different walks of life, who had different jobs, different career paths from different areas, and he united them somehow. And when I think about the gospel, so often we think about what Jesus was doing, but we forget that there was, there was a crew following Jesus around, right? These guys were following him. And can you imagine the things that they were experiencing? I mean, you talk about experiencing the highs and lows of life together. I mean, they went through the mountaintops with Jesus and through the valleys with Jesus. And all the while, I imagine they were discussing the teachings of Christ. They were wrestling together with what Jesus actually said and what he actually expected of them. I imagine them looking at one another going, wait, he expects us to do greater things than he's done? What? How how is that possible? I imagine them asking each other behind Jesus' back, well, what did he just say? Like, what? He wants us to do what? He wants us to forgive 70 times, seven times. He wants us to turn the other cheek. He wants us to do what? And having these kind of conversations brought them to a very raw and a very real place where each of these men would have really known one another and deeply loved one another. And so what did they create for the very first church, for those first 3,000 people who surrendered their life to the Lord? A place where they too could be known and a place where they too could be loved. And I love this. And in fact, we're going to go back to verse 42. I'm going to put it on the screen here so we can break it down. It tells us what they did in this very first community. It says that the apostles, like, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. So we've already talked about the apostles' teaching. The apostles were teaching what Jesus taught and doing what Jesus had done. And then it says the fellowship. Now, fellowship isn't a word that we use too often in our context today, right? Um, Unless you're like a big Lord of the Rings fan, like you probably don't use the word fellowship a whole lot. And in fact, if you grew up in a traditional church, your church probably had a fellowship hall, right? That word makes sense to me because it sounds better than the hangout hall. But what did you really do in the fellowship hall? You hung out, right? And, And you probably ate, right? So you hung out 
and you ate, which it says, if you go back to verse 42, it says not only was there fellowship, but there was the breaking of bread. And the breaking of bread in this context would have meant not only sharing a meal together, but also celebrating Holy Communion together. And then it says they prayed and the prayers. And believe me, there was a whole lot to pray about at this point in time. Keep in mind, we're just a couple months out from Jesus's death on a cross. And these guys, his closest friends and followers, knew that at any point they could be next. There was plenty to pray about. And so when I look at this community that they formed, I go, okay, so they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. But, but what were the elements that really served as glue to keep this community together? And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about three kind of key core elements that we have to have if we're going to be a place where we create community consistently. All right. And so here's the first thing. All right. First kind of key element is that community has to be Christ-centered. It's got to be Christ-centered. And I want to go back to verse 43. It says this, and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. If you want to know how this was a you want to like verify that this was a Christ-centered community? It says all came upon every soul. Listen, I imagine that the disciples were probably pretty good preachers. I mean, they apprenticed under Jesus, but I don't think they were the reason that all was coming upon every soul. I think that had everything to do with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus working through them. It was a Christ-centered community. And because of that, there was power to it. I think our culture is longing for community, and, and I see this a lot in sports. Like, there's places in our, in our like, state where you can go to experience amazing community, right? Like, like you can go to Sanford Stadium, right? You see what I'm saying? You can go to Sanford Stadium and see the Georgia Bulldogs play football, right? And that is an amazing community, all united around a common cause of cheering on the Bulldogs. Or you can go to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and you can cheer for the five stripes, and you can be united around a common cause of cheering on your team to victory. But here's the thing I want to let you in on. You can yell and scream and cheer and shout for your team until you are blue in the face. But it doesn't matter if there's a last second overtime touchdown or a shootout goal to win the match. There's not going to be awe coming upon every soul in Sanford or in the bins. See, what makes awe come upon a soul is Christ and Christ alone. And some of you might be going, what? <laughs> well, how do we get that? Here's the thing. It's Christ in you that can, bring upon, that can bring all upon the souls of the community of which you are a part. When Jesus left, he left you as a community creator and he left you the only ingredient necessary for you to create the community that our surrounding area longs to be a part of, himself. See, Christ in you is longing to connect with the souls and the hearts and the minds of others. You just gotta allow him to do the work. And you do that by creating a Christ-centered person who's a part of a network of other Christ-centered people. And eventually you become a Christ-centered community that's bent on nothing more than changing the world. And some of you, okay, all right, so it's gotta be Christ-centered, what else? The second thing that you gotta have is that it's gotta be committed. It's gotta be a committed community. And we see this in verses 44 and 45. It says this, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You want to know how somebody's really committed to something, how they're really all in on something? Just ask yourself this question. Are they putting their money where their mouth is? 
That's how you know if somebody's really all in. Like, like think about sports. We've already used this analogy, right? Like, how does a franchise make sure that there's buy-in for them? Well, they, they sell seat license before you can even buy your season tickets, right? Like, if you want to go to a, a football team and you want to buy season tickets, you got to make a donation to the university. Why? Because they want to make sure that before you get your tickets, that you're already invested, that you're already all in. You know where else we see this? Politics. How many of you guys are pumped that it's an election year? Woo, right? People are fired up. I mean, you guys couldn't wait for 2020 to get here. Like you're counting down the days to the election because this is going to be such a fun year, right? I've read that spending on campaigns is already higher than it's ever been before. Woohoo, right? Can't wait for election season. It's going to be so good. But here's what's fascinating to me. We're not really in the, like the, the full-throated election season yet because we're still in dropout season. And you know what dropout season means? It means candidates are going to start running out of money. And when you run out of money, it means that you've run out of support. It means that, you're, it means that your group is not going to be able to get you where you are wanting to go as a candidate, so you drop out. You didn't have enough money to go the distance. See, there's not a commitment level there. And what we see in our passage here is that the people in the early church didn't allow salary, status, or standing to make it any difference at all in the development of a community. It didn't matter how much money you had or how much stuff you had. All that mattered is that you were united together by Christ. Christ knitted together a group of diverse people so that in their united uniqueness, they could do things that they could never do on their own. And everybody, everybody in that culture was in all of it. It was amazing, which brings us to our third thing that we see from the early church that's really important for us to understand as a community today, which is that community has to be catalytic. Community has to be catalytic. Basically, it has to create movement. And the way the early church did this is so interesting to me. What the early church did was they showed the world an alternative to the way they were living. Because the early world, where the early church started, it really wasn't all that different from ours. It was made up of a bunch of individuals on their own trying to be enough. Sound familiar? And what the early church did is it showed that you don't have to be enough all on your own. You don't have to be cleaned up and put together all on your own. It showed us that there is so much more to life than what we can accomplish on our own. In fact, it shows us that the the things that we can accomplish we're never gonna reach on our own. That in order for us to do the things we were literally created by God to do, we need others to cultivate and call that forth from within us. We're never gonna be who Jesus made us to be until we get ourselves into a community. And when the people, when the people in this context of the early church saw this movement, They saw this this community that was a mobile community. It wasn't a monument. It was a movement. When they saw it, they were drawn to it because something deep down inside of them said, yes, I want to be a part of that because on my own, I'm never going to be able to do the things that I long to be able to do. And it led to explosive growth. Listen to these words from verse 47. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Church, here's my question for you. What would happen 
and Brazelton and Hushton and Jefferson and, and Flowery Branch? What would happen in this community if we became so focused on doing things the way Jesus did them instead of focused on the way the world tells us we should do them? What if we moved away from culture and moved towards Christ's way of being in community? A community that wasn't about being enough on our own, but a community that said, I don't have to prove anything to anyone. I just have to be who I am. I'm convinced that this kind of community that's Christ-centered and committed and catalytic, this type of community would change our surrounding area. I believe that we'd see the kingdom come in ways we never dreamed possible if we could live this out and model it for the surrounding area. I think that's largely because I've seen it. See, a couple years ago, um, I had the privilege of leading a connect group. And in our group, we had a young lady who, who signed up who, who was really new to the church. In fact, she'd only been a couple of times to the church. And, and, and she was really nervous to come to connect group. Like, like she knew that there was a pastor in the group, which most time people are like, they, they do not want to be in group with the pastor because they think that the pastors have all the answer, which is not true, not at all. They also think that pastors have some red phone to, to the Lord. And like, like instantly, if there's a pastor in the room, like they know your past, right? Pastors don't know your past. Just so you know that. I'm just putting that out there for you. But she had a past she wasn't all that proud of. And it wasn't horrible, but it's much like probably a lot of you where she grew up in the church and then she went to college and she had fun in college and she didn't go back to church for a while. In fact, it wasn't until she had kids that she got back into church. And she was really in that stage of just trying to find her way in the church and she wasn't all that familiar with the Bible. So coming to a Bible study seemed really daunting to her, but she had received a personal invite And so she came, and and that young lady is still a part of our faith community today, and she credits not Sunday morning coming to the the crowd on Sunday morning. She credits coming to a connect group on a Wednesday night in somebody's home for the reason that she's a part of this church. In fact, she'll tell you that as she's gone through the trials and tribulations of life, the ups and downs, the good and the bad, the really hard stuff that's come her way over these past few years, what's kept her as a part of this church is the community that she experienced because she knew that she could fully be herself here. And you know what? When I ask myself the question, what does the Lord want for the people of our surrounding area? I'm pretty convinced that's what it looks like. What God wants for every single family in the surrounding area is for them to have a community of people who is willing to uphold them through the good and bad of life. What God wants for every single person in our surrounding area, our spheres of influence, is for us to invite people to live a life that is so much different than what the world has to offer, and to live a life where they are a part of something so much greater than they could ever be on their own. What the Lord wants for the people in our area is for us to love them like Christ loved them. And what did Christ do? He created community. Listen, our mission, that's making disciples, making disciples. That's not ever going to change. But here's what I'm convinced. I'm convinced that the best way for us to go about making disciples, making disciples, is for us to create communities that are Christ-centered, that are committed, that are catalytic. And I wish I could say that was my idea, but it's not. It's the story of the very first church. And my prayer for us in 2020 is that it's the story 
of the Vine Church. That's why this morning I want to extend an invite to you. And the invite's simple. It's for you to engage Christ-centered community. That's it. And there's some very, um, very like, specific steps you can take to do just that. The first is, if you're a part of the Vine Church, this is sign-up season for Connect Groups. And I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to make sure you get into a group. We offer them all throughout the week at various times, various locations, intentionally, because we want there to be one that works for you. And if you go, I'm just too busy and none of these work, we've got an online platform for you. It was designed with you in mind so that you can find this Christ-centered, committed, catalytic community. So make sure you go to our website and get signed up for that. And if you're new here and you're going, whoa, I don't, I don't like the idea of getting into a group with people I don't know. That makes me nervous. What if, what if they know all the answers to the Bible? What, what, if, what if they are like going to know that, that I've got a past and they don't because they're church people and church people never have a past? Church people are the ones who have it figured out, right? I can't be in a group with church people. Listen, if you're here and you're new and you're wondering what your step in a community is, we, we created it for you. It's actually a program called Engage. It's brand new. We're rolling it out for the very first time this month. In fact, you can go to our website, connecttothevine.org slash engage, and you can get all the details about our new program called Engage. And what it is, is you're, you're going to be shocked by this. It's a community of new people to the vine. And in that community, you're going to learn all about the vine's past, their present, and the future of the vine. And you're going to learn a whole lot about Jesus and what he has for you and your life. And you're going to do that amidst other people who are stepping into the community here at the Vine. Because here's what we're not comfortable with as a church. We're not comfortable with, with saying, you know what, it's enough just to come once on Sunday mornings. I don't think any of us are going to grow to be who Jesus made us to be by coming once on Sunday mornings. I believe that we're never going to become who we are made to be until we find ourselves in the community. So this morning, church, if you're, if you're part of the Vine, get into a connect group. If you're new to the vine and you still want to learn more about the vine, check out Engage. It's your opportunity to find unique community with people who are also seeking unique community here. And if you're here this morning and this idea of being a part of a community just feels foreign to you, it might be because you've never been in a real relationship with Christ. Because Christ is the author of community. And if you allow him to, he'd love to enter into your life and you'll experience a community like never before as you recognize that you're a part of the family of God, the community of heaven. And you can do that right now. Stir up passion in my heart, God. Let it overflow. Let it overflow. Stir up passion in my heart, God.
Sir 